Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Welcome, welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Clancy, again this week. And joining me once again is the ever-reliable Luca Gumby. Luca, welcome back. Yeah, hello. Uh, glad to be here for this especially intimate edition. Just me and you can really rack our brains over this and really know what we're thinking deep down about all the all the big issues over there in Syria. Yeah, we'll, we'll do our best. It's always... A bit unusual when it's just the two of us, but um, we don't know what happened to Vito Doria tonight, but hopefully he's all right down under in Australia. Um, I suppose we'll just kick off straight away with this and dive straight into the biggest story of the summer has kind of fallen through into the first week of Serie A, and that's AC Milan. They picked up a brilliant 3-0 win away at Crotone, but I've seen a lot of people getting carried away, well, what I consider to be getting carried away on Twitter and wherever else you see people, because... They had 80% possession, which is obviously impressive, but they were playing against Crotone and Crotone had a man sent off after three minutes. So, Luca, do you think it's important that Milan fans kind of keep a bit of perspective here and remember that they played against a weak team with 10 men and it wasn't them smashing Napoli or something like that? Yeah, of course. It was only Crotone and 10 men of Crotone for about 85 minutes. And yeah, obviously there is a need to keep some perspective. They haven't gone and proven anything yet, but at the same time, it's obviously a nice experience for the fans and the players to get that first win under the belt and just have it so so convincing. Sort of get the kind of players you wanted to score, scoring Cutrone, a young player on his debut. He's going to have a bit more pressure than some of these other players who they've got more experience. He, but for him to get a goal, it's nice. It gets him off the ground running. Yeah, it was only Cutrone had ten men. After that, they gave away that penalty after five minutes, which was um, originally given as a yellow card, and then it was reviewed and moved up to a red card, possibly slightly harsh. But yeah, obviously them them done anything yet, and there's still a way to go. But with all the the kind of spending and change that they've had, it, it's important for them to get off to a win. And 
to do so at Crotone like that is going to be very pleasing for them and yeah obviously them they haven't proven anything really yet but Crotone away could be quite a hard game first game of the season they're happy to be back in Serie A but they passed the first test with fine colours and then they'll be on to the next one which will be more difficult you presume but for that could just give them a little foundation to build from yeah I think what was probably most pleasing was how the new signings seemed to have settled in they Again, it was against weakened opposition, but in the Europa League qualifiers, we saw Leonardo Panucci giving a, a team talk before the game, and a lot of fans were saying that that's exactly what they've been missing, and they're spot on. And then Frank Kessie stepped up and scored a penalty to give them the lead. But um, Cutrone, how how good do you think he can be? Because with all these signings coming in, he's kind of slipped under the radar as a, a homegrown talent, but he looks pretty impressive, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he does because they brought in well, they brought in Barini, Silva up front. I think Callan is just still coming in, but then they're still willing to give Cutrone a chance. He's nineteen. He's been playing for the Italy under nineteens, but he doesn't really have much experience elsewhere. He's not the kind of typical player from those big clubs who's been loaned all over Serie B or, or whatever. But um, yeah, for that that goal he scored, he showed great instinct to just get in front of his man, and he's not a particularly tall striker even though he's quite quite stocky character but that's kind of instant that deft little header at the near post is kind of a very impressive goal and he scored a few in pre-season scored against Bayern and it'd, it'd probably be quite tough for him to keep his place in that in that team with all the other additions they've made up front but you think yeah it's very positive for, for Milan to have a young homegrown player like that it also kind of just builds a bit of morale in the team people always like to see their own youngsters coming through. So that's certainly certainly promising for the future. And it'd be interesting to see how well he can keep it up and if he can stay at Midland, doesn't have to go the route of being loaned out and then perhaps fading away. But for him to start like that is very encouraging and it'll be tough for him to maintain it with all the, the competition. But it'd be interesting to see how he does. Yeah, I suppose they've got the second leg of that. Europa League qualifier in the week which you'd expect them to win quite comfortably and then next weekend I think they're playing Cagliari at home aren't they at San Siro so winning kind of breeds winning so they're going to get off to a pretty good start you would imagine surely that can only be good for them and I know that weak opposition in that but if they pick up a, a few wins in concession early on who knows what they can go on to do this year? We're kind of expecting them to get top four, absolute minimum. But I don't know, maybe if they get a bit of a good run early on, they can actually challenge Napoli and Juve at the top. But you, you mentioned the the review system that's been brought in, the VAR. Um, that was also seen in Juventus' game. Juve beat Cagliari 3-0. And Cagliari got a penalty because of the review system originally Alexandro was deemed not to have failed the player but then the referee went over had a look and to be fair that review was one of the few that was quite quickly and decisive but they missed the penalty anyway so it didn't really matter that much but look I know you're not the biggest fan of this VAR system what has your reaction been to its early use in Serie A? Well it was used in the intergame as well which was probably not the best example of it going quite swimmingly as the authorities would like it was a uh, another sort of penalty incident kind of off the ball contact and they went to the system and it was about two minutes of 
reviewing play stopped the board ended up down there and nothing went out for throwing it kind of just killed the momentum but it wasn't really ever going to be given as a penalty it wasn't I don't think the Fiorentina players in that game were particularly appealing strongly but uh, it's obviously some people are going to be for it and against like I think most of the, the players perhaps would be for it especially with Italian football always kind of just having this kind of murky conspiracy theorist underside but I think it will take a while for them to get used to it perhaps the ideal solution would be to have kind of some sort of limits on it where the players or the, the managers call for challenges rather than the referee just going to it whenever they feel like they should because that's going to just create a sense of doubt in the referee where they're going to probably not have as much faith in their own decisions as they would because they know that it can bail them out but like it, it hasn't really had that much of a an impact yet. The the Juventus one was the one given against Juventus was clear. The the Inter one that wasn't given was a bit sort of bit disappointing for the game as a spectacle because it did kind of pause it and it was never really a a big incident. There was no real kind of need to stop it like that. But it, perhaps a Crotone had perhaps it changed it to a red card, which is probably fair. But you could still argue it. I don't. Like I think there will kind of be like just a sort of getting used to a period where perhaps people will keep saying it ruins the spectacle. People said that in Germany or elsewhere. But yeah, I think perhaps Serie A kind of needs it perhaps more than other leagues in some ways because there's always that kind of element of people think that people are getting decisions going their way for whatever reason. But I personally, I'm not that bothered whether the decisions are right because I don't. I quite enjoy football as the experience and the spectacle and the narrative. I'm perhaps not as interested in the better team winning. That's kind of a fallacy. It doesn't always happen. But yeah, slowly and surely it'll come in and people get used to it. And, and nothing's gone majorly wrong in the first week. It was just a bit slow in some cases. But then again, the UV game, we got it right. I don't know, don't know what your views are. Yeah, well, I think you kind of have to accept that there's going to be teething problems with it. And I've seen two ways that you could probably improve it. One would be to, as you see in rugby, I think, they mic up the referee so you can hear what's going on the whole time. Because one of the problems seems to be that for the decisions that are taking a little bit longer than others to resolve or to get to the bottom of, no one really knows what's happening. So the referee is just standing there speaking and no one can work out what he's saying. He tells the players to go away. So everyone's just kind of left waiting. Even the commentators on TV, you're just kind of left there. Um, it's a bit of an uncertain few seconds or minutes even at times. So I think that could probably be one way of resolving some of the doubt and kind of skepticism towards the system. But another way could probably be to take it out of the referee's hands altogether. So there's someone upstairs watching over the game. And if he sees something, he flags it up and tells the referee, this is what's happening. This is what you need to do. And then that way, it's not up to the referee to stop play and then all eyes aren't on the referee all the time. So I don't know what you think about that. I personally would be more in favor of someone else other than the referee taking control. I don't really like the idea of micing up the referee all the time. I don't really know why. That's just one of those things people always say, oh, rugby do it, so it must be great. But football and rugby are different sports, so you can't just throw one thing over to the other. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that taking it out of referees' hands is dangerous ground to wander into, or could it work? Well, I have looked at the the document from Roberto Rossetti, who's the director for VAR in Italy, and from my understanding, there are two additional assistants who are supposed to 
operate the system and they're already there. But the problem at the minute seems to be that it's still like it's still that the referee's decision is final, which is kind of the fundamental rule of officiating in football. So that kind of just creates at the moment a kind of sense of confusion where you're not really sure who it is making the decision because you have these people who are supposed to be operating the system, but then they don't appear to be doing that much and it just seems to be the referee watching at pit side. So I suppose you either just go and give it completely to the the people on the, on the in the stands watching the screen, the monitor, but even then I think there could be kind of like an issue where they perhaps don't have the kind of kind of certainty where they want to make the decision and overall the referee while the game's still in, in progress. I mean, that would be kind of one of the issues that will also have to be an eye out is if, if they have the the mandate to make the decision is when they're going to kind of apply it because there's no nat- if there's no natural to stop to the game, it'll be quite hard for them to come in and tell the referee, oh, no, you have to stop it now. It's not like, a, I don't know, like a sport like cricket where you have it where the ball t- goes dead after every delivery. If, if someone's going up the other end, that's going to, cause another issue but I think I think Italian football is taking it very very seriously they're very proud to be at the kind of forefront of this this far experiment along with the Bundesliga whereas England's not going for it Spain's not going for it but Italy does kind of want to show itself as like a more progressive nation in UEFA at the minute they've been backing the UEFA president uh, Seferin there's lots of close relations there Italy again the Champions League places back and I think VAR on its own is just like a greater part of this kind of movement in the football administration in Italy where they're trying to get back up to where they were as a major player after quite a few years out and personally I'm not particularly bothered whether they have it or not like it doesn't really interest me that much if the decisions are correct because quite often if you support a team you don't care as long as it goes your way or even if you're a neutral it can be quite entertaining to watch a, a decision get wrong but I think they do kind of need to just sort of clarify a bit more who is making the decision and perhaps have less kind of um kind of wires getting crossed between these people running the monitors and the sideline and then the referee in the middle who can stop it and watch on the screen at the touchline yeah personally i quite like it so far it's something interesting a bit different that gives us something new to talk about which is always welcome and um, but if we're going to talk about what actually happened with regards to the football juventus kind of just got a textbook 3-0 and there's not really too much to say but Gonzalo Higuain, Mario Mandzukic and Paolo Dybala got the goals which Juve will be happy about their three three main men up front and Paolo Dybala's goal I don't know if you saw it like it was an incredible pass it was like watching Andrea Pirlo again playing Mirlan Pjanic played a lovely ball over the top and Dybala ran in and finished it really well Gonzalo Higuain despite his Classic early season fitness problems. Just took his goal fantastically as you'd expect them to. But uh, we have a question coming in on the side for about Juventus. And it's James Juve22 wants to know, do we think that Juve will make any more transfers this window? Personally, I don't think so. I think Matuidi is probably the last one. The last bit of business they'll do. Um, Leonardo Spinazzola might go back from Atalanta. He's kind of been kicking up a little bit of fuss recently, trying to get his move back to Turin, and the fans aren't too happy with him up there, but I have seen he was included in the squad for the weekend, so that's probably a good sign that he's going to stay. Um, I don't know, what, what are your thoughts there? Do they need to bring in anyone else? They've already brought in De Chilio, Bernadeschi, Douglas Costa, and Matuidi. 
No, I, I think I'd agree with what, what you said. I, I don't think there's really a, a pressing need at the minute for anyone to come in at UV. They've, they've got that depth. And Matuidi seemed to be a very impressive signing. That was the position they needed. They need that extra midfield. And then was it what, 18 million euros they paid for him, which was uh, quite an impressive fee considering all the other sort of sums of money that have been thrown around at the moment. And yeah, I, I don't really see what Juve would need to do. Bernadeschi came in from Fiorentina, signed from that rival, stayed on the bench against Cagliari. And then, yeah, there's no real kind of transfers they need to make unless they, for some reason, decide they want to go back in for Schick with him being linked with some of the other big teams in Serie A. But otherwise, they've got a strong enough team at the moment and they've got the depth, they've got that midfielder now in that Sweden that they needed. I don't really see what kind of transfer they would make unless something just pops out of nowhere where well, someone's going and really... They have Sorry. been with um, Keita Baldé-Diao from Lazio, but I don't really see the need to go for him. What would he offer them that they haven't already got? No, especially if they've just got Costa and Benedeschi in as well. There's just You think that's going to just be over stacking the, the, player, the, the team with too many kind of similar players? I think Baldé wants to go to Juventus, but Lazio aren't particularly keen to sell him there. I think they're keen to sell him somewhere, but I think they'd rather sell him abroad and get more money for him. And Juve aren't going to pay the money it seems that Lazio are asking for. And it doesn't really seem very wise of them if they're going to pursue Balde when they don't particularly need him. But to be honest, I don't really see them doing that. I think they they should be happy enough with what what they've got at the moment. Yeah, they tend to operate quite well in the window as well. To be fair to them, so. You can't see them wasting money on Keita Balde, especially, as you said, if Lazio aren't too keen to sell him to Juve, they'd probably have to overpay to get him, which you can't really see them doing. Move on to Inter. It's a shame not to have Nick here because Inter were, it's fair to say they were pretty impressive against an acceptably below-par Fiorentina, but how painful will it have been for Fiorentina fans to see Borja Valero absolutely running the show against them, especially given how he left in the summer, not really wanting to leave, but feeling forced out over the Artemio Franchi. Um, shout out to Connell Shaw, who is probably crying right now, listening to us talk about Fiorentina and Borja Valero. But I have saw someone raise the point on Twitter about um, Borja Valero, Matias Vicino, Roberto Gagliardini, and João Mario. I wonder how... Spalletti's going to keep all of them happy because they haven't got European football to increase the number of games they play. So the games are limited. And to rotate all of those players for just what looks like it could be two positions might not work that well. Do you think Spalletti has a bit of a problem there with a midfield overload? Yeah, you've it's kind of that cliched, nice problem to have where they have lots of good players in the same position and it's difficult but I think against Fiorentina it worked well for them because Vecino and uh, a nice Italianization of his name as well making it just sound better yeah Vecino <laughs> uh, no yeah like Vecino and Valero played very well against their old club which perhaps is a benefit as well they know the opposition well actually perhaps not because Fiorentina are a completely different team this year but like in that game as well when Gel Mario came on he was he, he was decisive straight away. He got up the ball. He, he was running quite from a wide position on the right. He was, I think, he got an assist for the third goal. 
and yeah that is perhaps going to be difficult they've got Condogbia out on loan now at Valencia so that's kind of one less player competing for that position I don't know perhaps Brozovic might return kind of to the bench or be moved on because he started in that game and he's not always one that perhaps is the most popular at the moment you would perhaps see Bichel Mario or Gagliardini to kind of be the player that Inter want to get in that team sort of applying their style and developing as a player they're younger I think and uh kind of ones that are going to try and build the team around but it'll be quite interesting to see how it works but you never know how it could work out of injuries or, or whatever and you'll see it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of keep rotating this team or if they do change formations within matches but I think Spalletti's an experienced coach he knows what he's doing and be uh, you want to give him time to see how he deals with this but it's you know it's not a bad thing to have four quality players competing for these these positions yeah, absolutely. Um, Blair Newman, who we've had on the podcast before, said to me on Twitter that Spalletti being Spalletti, he'll probably change the system throughout the season a few times. So they might all get a run in some games, who knows. But um, Ivan Perisic is someone who's been linked with a move away from Inter at times this summer. And he was just on form again at the weekend. He does this every once in a while. But I personally think he's really impressive. And a lot of people say he's a bit inconsistent. I'd like to get your thoughts here again, but I saw he was, one of his assists at the weekend, I don't know how many he got, was his 15th for Inter, and nine of those have been from Aero Icardi. So I think the two of them have such a good understanding, and Icardi's importance to Inter is obvious, whereas Parasic probably goes a little bit more under the radar. Do you think, it'd be great to have Nick here for this, but I don't know, do you think that Parasic needs to be more consistent, or... Is he a bit unfairly overlooked when people talk about Inter? Well, I don't think he really has that much to prove as an individual because obviously Manchester United were that completely determined to sign him. That was like they really wanted it. So he's clearly like a player with a good reputation who does what he's supposed to do well. And I don't know, perhaps like in that that sort of the assist he got in against Fiorentino, he was just he got quite a lot of help from uh, Candre who just created all the space from then knocked it back and it was a perfect cross so I don't think he, he really needs to try to try to force the issue too much and really try and overplay and become consistent because he's clearly a good player and he showed in that game there was one perhaps slight mistake where they were on goal and he was with a card and he tried to square it to him where perhaps he should have shot but it shows he's got a good understanding with his players he's trying to feed the other the other players in that kind of front line. So I don't, I don't think he, he's really been too inconsistent. I think the problem just been that Inter last season were quite quite poor and there kind of became a point in the season where it was kind of clear they didn't really have that much left to play for. They weren't going to get to Europe after a certain point. It just kind of had a, a negative atmosphere at the club. But now with that positive win, it's going to just boost a bit of morale. And Spalletti seems to have got the most out of him in the first game. So I'd expect him to continue doing well. I think there's talk of him signing a new contract as well. So a lot of the transfer speculations would start to die away. And yeah, he's he's clearly a good player. So I'd expect him to, to carry on and keep linking up well with Icardi. I think some of the players that enter have probably been getting more criticism than... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. They deserve as individuals just because the kind of group became so kind of stagnant towards the end of last season. But otherwise, now that it's a fresh start, there's no reason why they can't really start to start to play at the kind of peak of their ability, whereas they've done at other clubs or in the past. Uh, just an update on Vito Doria's health and whereabouts. He he is okay. He's awake. He's alive. He just mistyped that he could instead of couldn't make it. So. Just a bit of a mix-up <laughs> But anyway, let's... A warning to Fiorentina fans. Connell Shaw, if you're listening, maybe go make a cup of tea now because we're going to talk about you guys. They are in big trouble this year, aren't they? I've seen a lot of people being overly optimistic for them online, I think, and saying that it's a brand-new team, brand-new coach. They need time, they need time. And, but seriously, that club is a mess. We... We laughed at them a fair bit last season. and Not that we wanted to or anything. It's just that they were a bit funny from a neutral's point of view. And this year, Fiorentina fans, I'm sorry, but it doesn't look like it's going to get any better for you. I can't see them doing much better than a mid-table finish this season. Luca, do you think I'm being a bit reactionary or is the future a dark, dark place for the Viola? Well, I was given their, their preview and I thought, well, you, you need to give them time. Yes. Brand new team, so but I, I guess that's kind of comes from yeah they they're probably not going to do much more than mid table. It's kind of a bunch of new players who haven't really played together. There's lots of young players, so perhaps if they can just sort of be patient, accept mid table kind of mediocrity, and think all right, as long as these players develop and we keep them, we don't just sell them on as soon as some of them show some promise, and that can you'd hope be a formation for them, a foundation for them to start to to look to next season. But I think. Pioli is a, a good coach. I think Inter, he was quite well regarded after he came in and just sort of helped stable, stabilise things after they started to fall apart after De Boer and whatnot. So I think Fiorentino have a good person in charge at the moment to just kind of keep them stable, stop it really sliding into a crisis. And it was, it was a tough game, Inter away, first game of the season. Lots of these players aren't really at the peak of their condition. They haven't got that chemistry yet. 
conceded after five minutes to a penalty. It was kind of natural for them to fall apart at that stage. But then in the second half, they did they did show something. Simeone had a few chances. So, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to, you know, they're not going to really be up there and they're not going to catch the eye and be the, the darlings of anyone or really competing with the top teams. But I think there's no reason why they can't be a good mid-table team with a view to pushing on next year if they can sort out the kind of more administrative sides of the club because that's what the issue is going to be now with who's funding it, who owns it, if they're going to build a stadium, whatever's going on there, that's going to be what determines Fiorentina's fate rather than kind of stuff on the pitch at the moment where you think they'd just sort of be average and not much more than that. Yeah, you do feel for their fans because what's happening off the pitch there is a bit of a a shambles lately, really. Um, but on the pitch, I suppose Federico Chiesa, Giovanni Simeone and Marco Benassi could be quite exciting to watch this season. Benassi wasn't at his best on Saturday or Sunday, unfortunately, but I don't know, there might be some hope there for them. They might get some enjoyment out of that trio, if nothing else. But if we're going to move on now to Verona against this year's, hopefully, Scudetto winners, Napoli. Luca, I know you agree with me there. Um, Napoli were fantastic. And I thought it was... I didn't know what was going on at the Bentagodi because there were two different pitches in one. One looked perfectly relayed and then the other was a complete mess. There were just holes left, right and centre. And I don't know if it was a tactical thing to have Napoli. Uh, do, you, do you not know why they had to relay it? Do you not no. know the reason? No, go. There was a Robbie Williams concert, so <laughs> that messed up the pitch, and they only had time to relay half of it, I think. So presumably when Chievo are next at home, it should be in better shape. But they, they they did spend quite a lot of money on the pitch over the summer in Verona, and then it just wasn't ready for the first game. And let Robbie Williams perform on it. That's a disgrace in itself, really. Um that's thrown me, but I thought it might have been a bit of a tactic to let Napoli shoot towards the end with the terrible pitch in the first half and kind of throw them off their game a bit. But if it was, it didn't work. Napoli were their brilliant best, really. And I know Verona pulled one back late on, but 3-1, I think, really flattered Verona. I wrote about this game pretty much straight after, which is up on com now if you want to go read it. And Napoli could have had four or five at halftime. Really, um, Luca, did you think that this kind of proves that Napoli are up to challenge Juve again this season, or is it just Napoli beating a newly promoted side? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. It, I think Verona are probably going to find it quite tough, but they did they did show resilience at the start of the game. They did manage to hold Napoli off for a while and then it was an own goal that really opened the floodgates and then Insigne was kind of on a different level. That that goal they scored on the break, it was like something out of FIFA where it was just so quick and just precise through balls all the way through. So I think that was certainly yeah, that was Napoli was certainly very impressive. They're still going good going forwards. They did kind of struggle somewhat when Pazzini came on, so perhaps they, they might still have the defence as a bit of a Achilles heel and they did finish with ten men as was it I think uh Husai got sent off. Yeah, but, yeah I think they they're still the most entertaining team. They play the kind of most attractive football under Sarri the way he gets them to play. So yeah, well, I think it does kind of you know, it does kind of lend credence to the hypothesis if it's going to be anyone other than 
Juve, it's probably Napoli who would be the main challenger. I think they've, they've got some stuff over Milan where they've got they've, they've already been playing together, they know each other better. And the way they play is just so clear that they're, they're all tuned in, they know what they're doing, they understand the systems and the, the tactics, and yet they've still managed to play such exciting football and just so much kind of flair and and whatnot. And yeah, I think and Mertens didn't even play against uh, Rona, if I'm, if I'm correct. So. Yeah, he came on after an hour for Milik, and that was one of the things that I was most impressed by, is that even without Mertens, who they'd become so reliant on last year, they were just brilliant. Milik stepped straight back into where he left off 10 months ago before his knee injury, and that was his first goal since then, I think. And he was just he just fitted in so nicely with Insignia and Callahan. There seems to be a really good understanding there. And Jake has just said in the comments that Pazzini is a king. I completely agree with that. He, Quagliarella and Marco Barriello should still be leading the line for Italy, if you ask me, but won't get too distracted by that. Um, Roma, who we might have mentioned, I can't really remember, got a win away in Bergamo against Atalanta. They beat them 1-0. It was a, a really clever and tidy Alexander Kolarov free kick, though the commentators, wherever I was watching it, were saying that the wall were stupid to jump. And I thought that was extremely harsh because if they didn't jump and went over them there would have been criticisms about that but I thought Roma were quite lucky here Atalanta had close to 60% possession 16 shots Ilicic missed an open goal from a yard out he hit the post and I was screaming I don't know how he managed that but I thought what was really telling from Atalanta's point of view is that Andrea Conti was missing because Hans had the bar had a decent game but he didn't quite make the same runs that Conti made that Gomez used to find and Spinazzola was a big miss the new guy Goosens or whatever his name is was not that great he was keen to join in the attacks but when he did he never got to the line and pulled it back as Spinazzola would but Luca Roma that is a huge win for them we've kind of been not really sure what to expect from them this season and to win Bergamo is a difficult place to go when not being that impressive yourselves that's a huge three points especially given that Milan Inter Juve and Napoli all won as well this week yeah I, I haven't I, I haven't been someone who particularly expects that much of Roma this year but it, it was definitely a hard fought win but in many ways that's kind of exactly what you want to kind of get going when you can do it tough is you know a sign of moral character and all of that because they've they've traditionally found Atalanta a, a tough team to play. Lots of teams struggle when they play in Bergamo, and it wasn't easy. Like Atalanta probably deserved something. It was that lights chance missed. Had lots of shots. I think even in that game, I think um, Papu Gomez had sort of created the most chances in Italy that weekend or something. Or as he does every weekend. <laughs> Yeah, but for Roma to, to manage to get that 1-0 win off a, a free kick, which is very clever, without creating too many huge clear-cut chances of their own, is going to really be encouraging for them if they can sort of show that they can do it that way. Because this team, at the moment, you think it's set up to be quite exciting with Di Francesco. They play a high line at the back. They're not going to really be able to grind out results. You think that's not really how they're set up but then at Rome away at Atalanta they showed that they can they can do that they don't have to just completely turn up and play this play teams off the park they could still get a 1-0 win when you thought that might be kind of a tough 
tough challenge for them. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. They, they did seem kind of a bit ropey at the back, but in the end, they kept a clean sheet. And one thing that did seem odd, though, was that I think there were stories afterwards about some Roma fans were still booing Kolarov after he scored because he used to play for Lazio and whistling <laughs> him. But... <laughs> um... so, as long as that doesn't boil over into some sort of nonsense. Mm. Yeah, don't do that. But um, moving on, we'll just fly through the rest of this quickly because we're kind of getting to the end now. Jake also asked, what are our predictions for Roma Inter next week? Inter have to be considered favourites, don't they? You would think so. The way that they played in Fugina, they were very convincing. I suppose they also have the kind of slight advantage that Spalletti knows this Roma team very well, perhaps more than Di Francesco knows Inter. Um, and you would expect Inter, yeah, to be the favourites, but away at the Stadio Olimpico, it's not going to be easy. Draw seems quite a feasible result, but the way that Inter played against Fiorentina, the way they really came out, the traps flying, and then that front line, it, you think it could really pose some problems for Roma, who have this kind of slightly ropey-looking defence at the moment where they're, they're getting very high up the pitch and Perisic and Icardi can get in behind them, you would, you would assume. Yeah, um, Spal elsewhere held Lazio 0-0, which is a good result for them. But we pretty much all on FIF predicted Spal to get relegated, but Marco Borriello and Poloski up top, they're going to get goals. And with Alex Merritt in between their own goal, I think they can... Probably surprise a few more teams this year, but Lazio, it's not going to be a good year for them, is it? They lost Lucas Biglia already. Um, Kekabalde will leave, and if not, clearly doesn't really want to be there. So, I don't know. We won't talk about Lazio this week. We might get to them next, but um, we'll move on to a couple of questions. We've got one on Twitter, but first, Stephen Canny asks in the comments here, it's an unrelated question, but how do you rate Andrea Bellotti compared to other attacking players of a similar age? Example, Marcus Rashford, Usman Dembele, or even Kylian Mbappe. Well, I'll take this first. I think he's a completely different player to all of those. He's very much a, an in-the-box poacher type player. He doesn't really offer too much outside of that. But if the ball falls to him in the box, it doesn't really matter if it's a, with his head, left foot, right foot, backside, whatever. He'll probably score it because there was a statistic last season that I think when he got to 15 goals, he finished on about 24. But when he got to 15, five were with his head, five were with his left foot, and five were with his right. And he was the only player in Europe to have scored five with each main body part, which was really impressive. But yeah, Rashford, Dembele, and Mbappe, I think, are more versatile front men, I think. They can play anywhere in the front three or front four even, whereas Bellotti is very much a number nine. But... Comparing them to other number nines of the same age, I don't think there are too many more impressive than them. Is that fair to say? Um, no, like like you said, I suppose those other players mentioned are probably they're probably faster. They can take a man on more than Blotti can, who's more of just a kind of pure finisher. But yeah, there's there's not really many better than him of that kind of style of player around Europe. That, I suppose you could argue, I don't know, he's probably not that much younger than Harry Kane, who's obviously further ahead as just a kind of striker who's, you know, just, you know, score your goals. Probably got a bit more of a rounded style, but in Italy or out of Italian players, there's no one really kind of at Lotti's level. And it will be quite interesting to see how we can push on at Torino this year. We've done very well to keep him with all the kind of speculation that there was early in the transfer window. Um, it, 
yeah, he, he should get good service again from that Torino team who still have quite a, a good attacking attacking threat from their wide men and the attacking midfielders. So, yeah, I'll definitely be interested to see how he can do it. I think he, he struggled somewhat towards the end of last season. He was playing for the national team as well, so he was having more games. He was getting tired. I don't think he set the world alight against Bologna at the weekend, but, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see how he does. And Yeah. Yeah, I was really glad he stayed at Torino this summer. Um, I think he does need one more year there just to kind of keep his form and consistency. Um, and then who knows, he's a Milan fan, so maybe next year Milan will have qualified for the Champions League, have a bit more money and just throw it at Torino and take him. And if he is going into a more settled environment then in a year rather than going into Milan this summer when everything is different, it's probably going to be only a good thing for him. Um, just let me find this Twitter question now. thought it was quite an interesting one. It is, why do the big Italian teams like Lazio, Roma, Napoli, Torino and Fiorentina, why don't they attract the same investment as the Milan clubs and Juventus? Uh, Luca, you're always good for the away from the football pitch stuff, so I'll, I'll leave this one to you. So who are we talking about? Fiorentina... Kind of Lazio. The Rome clubs, Fiorentina, Napoli, and Torino. I think Roma probably do now that they have that American ownership. They've sort of become a lot more commercial as a football club. They they promote the club a lot more. They have all the various languages on social media. They've sort of had the kind of like, you know, the sort of comedic announcement videos. So they're kind of, you know, they're moving towards the new stadium. So they've got the investment, I think. It's just that perhaps Italian football is kind of a lot more traditional where the club like Lazio, owned by Lotito, it's a lot more kind of businessmen who run these football clubs just sort of out of it. Just, I don't know, it's like a sense of building their personal reputation. They're in it for the kind of pride and they haven't really got the massive funds to, to put all this money into the club. It's kind of about local politics and all of that. And then also in Italy, there's just kind of the issue that you have a lot more fan pressure at Fiorentina. They've pretty much forced the owners out because they become fed up with them, even though there was sort of plans to build a new stadium, which is still supposed to be in action. And it's just very kind of difficult to really change the way it works. It's all quite closed shop in how it works in Serie A. All the teams have to meet and vote on decisions. So even if they want to do things which would be considered like good for the league to reduce it to 18 teams, they can't. So then the clubs can't really be as run freely as they would. And even like in, in, in the Milan club, there's been so much sort of speculation about where the money's coming from, if it's proper, if they're actually putting in the genuine investment. There's so much more kind of scrutiny on everything. And then it's just also kind of the case that even though Italian football, like a lot of the domestic TV rights are quite valuable, it's still the domestic rights go for quite a lot. A lot of the foreign rights, they they struggle to sell for TV. So it kind of just doesn't have that level of publicity abroad to really kind of get the, the people to invest. But I don't know, I suppose it's quite... It's you, the, when you speak of this kind of thing, you naturally compare it to kind of uh, the Premier League because that's where the foreign investment goes because it's the best published, publicised league. But then perhaps in, in comparison to the Bundesliga or something where they have a lot more strict regulations, Serie A does kind of have more foreign investment 
in, in the Milan clubs. And then, yeah, elsewhere, Juventus is so linked to Fiat and Turin that they, they can't really get the investment. And then just the other places, you, it's probably too volatile. It kind of puts, puts foreign investment off. All right. Thanks, Luca. That'll do. Um, don't think there's any other business to address. So, yeah, if thanks everyone who's been watching live. We've had good interaction this week. And honestly, it does make doing this whole thing a little bit more enjoyable when you see that there's people watching it as you're doing it and getting involved. So thanks, Jake, and everyone else in the comments section for getting involved and keeping this a bit more interesting. Um, we'll be back same time again next week here on YouTube. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Acast. So get doing that. Leave us a review. Tell everyone how good we are. It helps. Um, if you like what we do, you can help us out a little bit on patreon.com forward slash Forza Italian Football. However much or however little you can give, it really does help. We've had a few more patrons over the summer and we love you guys. Honestly, we really appreciate everything you're giving us. Um, there's going to be some new rewards coming over the next couple of weeks, so keep an eye out for that. There's a lot of cool stuff. You can get your hands on a Roberto Baggio mug if you want, uh, a few pens, stickers, whatever you like. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Forza Italian Football and Get on board there. You can follow us on Twitter at Serie FFC, Facebook and Instagram at Forza Italian Football. Go to the website. We cover matches, do news, features, everything you need to keep up with Italian football. I'm on Twitter at ConJClancy, despite what I said last week. Luca, you are at GumbiZono, I think. I'm getting a nod. That's good enough for me. So again, thanks everyone for viewing. Join us again next Monday night between 10 and 11 o'clock Central European time, UK time, whatever, I can't really remember. But yeah, until next time, it's ciao for now. Napoli! Un giorno all'improvviso Mi innamorai di te Il cuore mi batteva Non chiedermi perché Di tempo ne è passato E siamo ancora qua E oggi come allora Difendo la città Non chiedermi perché Di tempo ne è passato E siamo ancora qua E oggi come allora Difendo la città
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.